Welcome to the Mutable Mindset. Join hosts Kevin Logan Jr. and Adam Posner as we uncover the captivating human element within the Web3 and blockchain technology space. Go beyond the trends and developments as we dive deep into the personal journeys, motivations, and expertise of the visionaries who are forging the future of the digital world. Tune in and be inspired by the passion, creativity, and resilience that drives these pioneers. Let their stories fuel your own curiosity and spark the desire to be part of this revolutionary movement. Welcome to the ultimate Web3 storytelling experience. Stay curious, my friends. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. We're bringing the best and the brightest in the world of business, recruitment, and marketing to help you harness your own inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Lacey Kalani. Currently founder of Meta Intro and now a two-time startup founder in the HR tech space, Meta Intro is a professional resume wallet for Web3. It holds proof of employment, proof of skill, proof of education, replacing that old PDF resume that we all know and love. And Meta Intro also hosts and maintains the largest Discord community dedicated to Web3 jobs. Around 4,000 of them are posted in the community a month which is more than Indeed and LinkedIn combined. That's a crazy stat, and we'll get to it. And prior to founding Meta Intro, Lacey co-founded Casting Depot, which is an exclusive community solely for talent and creators. And from her time working at places like Nickelodeon, Viacom, and A&E, she built Casting Depot to serve as a marketplace for all facets of the on-camera talent booking process. And now Lacey is using Near Blockchain and a whole bunch of other fun technology to dig into this space. We're going to unpack her journey and get into it. So let's do it. Lacey, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, awesome. And before we dig in, and thank you so much for joining us today from hopefully dry Los Angeles at this point. And uh, again, uh, a little memoriam for your garden. Sorry to hear about the casualty of losing some of your prized uh, produce. So sorry. Sorry about that one. Very sad. And everyone out there. But before we jump in, I have a special, special co-host today. He is the co-founder of Probably Nothing Talent and the host of the upcoming show, The Immutable Mindset, Kevin Logan Jr. Welcome. Thank you for having me as well. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to be here with Lacey. I am so interested and curious about uh, Meta Intro and digging in with you. The Good stuff here. So, <laughs> he, is, he is our resident. He totally is our resident DJ. So... Let's hit the rewind button here, Lacey. And before we get into the origin story of Meta Intro and all this fun little Web3 stuff that we love to talk about, from our research, I, I read that you do have entrepreneurial parents and you're kind of this entrepreneurial back upbringing. Let's talk about that a little bit. Where did, where did that bug come yeah. from? Oh, God. Did you see that in the Untapped video? I hope it wasn't. <laughs> we go deep. Yeah. For context, it was an investor summit and I had to give a presentation. And I hate, I hate public speaking to small audiences. Like there's, there's stages, right? You have like, you know, an intimate public speaking event and then you have like a more massive, larger audience. And that, that's easier for me, but speaking to like 30 people in a room just gets me super nervous. And right before I went on stage, my investor was like, you need to have more context to what you're talking about. You need to fill five, you know, five, six minutes. And I was like, I thought I was just getting up here to say hi. Nope. We raised X amount. See you later. You know, I thought it was gonna be short and simple. Instead, I had to like, you know, give a whole presentation. I, and I was just like spitballing as I was going, which I'm also not very good at. I need to like think about what I'm gonna say before I say it. 
But yeah, so a little bit about my background. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs. Actually, everybody in my family is an entrepreneur. Aunts, uncles, cousins, you name it. It's like a traveling circus. It is. Everybody has their own niche. And growing up, I never saw what it was like to work a nine to five. And it was very natural in, I think, first grade when I started my first business, which was selling cool looking erasers to other first graders. I think I remember that that eraser business a bit. I I I had um in middle school I was on we called it the the pretzel squad where I sold pretzels during lunch and I would come up with deals like buy two get the third one free and all that kind of stuff. That's nice. kind of where I got that. But going back to your parents, may I ask, you know, what did they do? What yeah, was it, what so, was their business? Yeah, so my mom had her own mortgage company and she ran that. She still runs that today. And uh, I think at the peak, she had about 50 people working for her. My dad owned a coffee shop growing up, which I worked at on the weekends for free. And my grandparents had a slew of businesses from bowling alleys to gas stations, you name it. So that was my example of what being in business for yourself looks like. Small, Small businesses that still pay the rent, do really well in terms of revenue and become staples of small communities. That's awesome. Do you remember one of those early lessons learned, you know, from watching them, from growing up around it? Mm. I think for my dad's side, you know, family works for free. (laughs) That was probably the first lesson. It's okay to enlist your family members for free. (laughs) And then on my mom's side, I think The toughest lesson, which I saw more so during the 08 crash, the downside of being an entrepreneur is you never know when your next paycheck is going to be, especially if you're not, let's say, like a venture back business. Right. If you have to, if you have to eat what you kill. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really tough during 08 because obviously being in the mortgage business is not a great business to be in when the real estate market is collapsing. How did you see your mom pull through? I mean, what were some of those? I mean... You had to see her like in those in those tough spots in those rough times. I'm sure yeah. stressful, stressful, not knowing where the next payout was going to come from. Totally, my mom's an innovator. She's one of those people that you, whenever you sit down to have breakfast with her or to have drinks with her, she'll lean over the table and she'll go, "So I have a business idea." <laughs> and my mom's that person to today. We were having drinks two weeks ago, and you know, two cocktails, and she's like, "Lacey, I have such a great idea for here comes a the lean over." Yeah, yeah. So, but that's how my mom's always been. And during 08, the same thing, you know, mortgage business is failing. What are five different businesses I can stand up tomorrow that will generate some revenue that will keep me afloat while, you know, my mortgage business comes back to life? I was just going to say, I think that's kind of an attribute of, of all of all entrepreneurs and small business owners. I mean, I'm in the mindset where I don't have a backup plan for my core business and my core business strategy because I'm under the school of thought, meaning if I give any energy to anything else, I'm taking it away from my core effort there. However, you do mm-hmm. need to be mindful of of resources. And I think there's there's that key difference from that standpoint. So we could we could kind of glaze over a little bit of the university days and, and get into inter- internships because yeah. I think that's something that's critically important, something that I lo- like to talk about on this show, I've spoken about my, my internships and what they meant to me. And one of the biggest things that I always talk about for any young folks out there, it's almost more important that you learn what you don't like from an internship and apply that to your career versus what you do like. So I'd love if you could shed some light on, on a couple of those internships yeah. and, and how they paved the way for where we are today. Yeah. Internships for any college student should be at the forefront 
of those formative years. Internships will allow you to look at what degree you're getting in a different way. It'll allow you, like you just said, to to some different avenues that you may or may not like. And it'll help, it'll set you up for what could be your career. And so I had a ton of different internships that are definitely not listed on my LinkedIn. Tell us the one that you're not, you're not proud to put on there. But like the Colombian drug cartel. I mean, I interned for the, you know, like. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I had good internships. I did intern for a guy who was building a startup that was redefining REITs. If anybody's in the real estate business and know how unsexy they are. I was a marketing intern and got fired, actually. I think I worked Got there fired for two as months. an intern, as an intern. What did you have to do? To you get know, fired you're as doing a, bad. Like if, if assuming <laughs> it was unpaid, how do you get fired as a, as an intern? It was unpaid. Why did I get fired? I think because I stopped showing up. Well, that could do it. <laughs> That'll do yeah. it. That is. Yeah. Kind of you kind of just have to show up. Yeah. I think that's part of yeah. one, one of the job requirements. But going back to the ones that you loved and kind of led your way into into casting, I mean, tell us a little bit yeah. where, where that started. Yeah. So I was doing my undergraduate at USF and I knew at that point I was, you know, probably, I think I was a sophomore. I was like, I have to get some internships I really like, and I need to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And so mm-hmm. I started applying to a bunch of jobs that I was, internships that I was curious about and fields that I was curious about. And I had two interview opportunities that popped up. One to work in the casting department at the local TV station in San Francisco, and then one at Nickelodeon Animation in LA. And if I took the LA one, that meant that I'd have to take a semester off from school. And when they called me, the recruiter called me to give me the internship opportunity, I like didn't even think twice. It was an opportunity to work on the shows and adjacent to the shows that I grew up loving, like SpongeBob, Fairly Odd Parents, Tough Puppy. I mean, what 18 year old doesn't want to work right. on, on the set of SpongeBob? So, you know, two weeks later, I was down in Burbank and started my first real internship. Do you remember what it was like? You know, you're all excited to, to roll in to this job that you were thrilled about. You remember like those first couple of days? Like, what, what did it yes. feel like? You scared? It was like magic. Excited. Magic. <laughs> It was magic. I mean, working, if anybody has an opportunity to work in animation, you should absolutely take it. It was one of those career paths that if all else failed, I'll go back to animation. You are literally working at a studio with a bunch of adults that love to draw and create for a living. Not a bad deal. Like, not a bad deal. And you get paid for it. And where did the the casting side come into? Was that like a natural progression? Was it something that came from the internship? It came from the internship. So it was a casting internship with the Nick Jr. department. And I had no idea at the time what casting was. No idea how I got the internship. I must have just proclaimed my love for SpongeBob so well. Yeah, um, (laughs) I must have sounded very passionate in my interview. And the internship ended up teaching me a lot. I mean, now knowing what I know about casting, casting is very much the fundamental pillar to any content that you consume that's Mm -hmm. scripted or unscripted. Like for instance, here, you cast me to be on the podcast, if you will. And I'll take it. I can can work with that. Yeah. I can work with that. Yeah. Booking, casting. You can be a casting director. Yeah. Well, recruiters, have you? 
I'm just saying, I mean, that's kind of, uh, I was about to say, like, you're, you're going down the path that we're talking about here. There's a logical correlation between casting and recruiting. You're looking for the best mm-hmm. people to fill X, Y, and, and, and Z roles. So there's a lot of transferable skills from that standpoint. But what are some of those pillars of success in the world of casting? And we'll get to how those mm-hmm. apply for recruitment. Yeah, it depends on what kind of project you're working on. Talent that's, I ended up in unscripted. So, and that's the reality more reality similar. Show. Yeah. Yeah. Reality shows. That's a nice way of saying reality TV. Unscripted. <laughs> unscripted. Podcast is unscripted. Yep. Yeah. For unscripted talent, talent that's passionate, that again, it's dependent, but passionate, articulate, and can present well on camera. So, Similar to recruiting, you want a passionate candidate, you want an articulate candidate, and you want somebody that's going to represent your company in a good way. And so over the course of my internships, I realized there was a void in the market. And that's eventually what led to my first startup. So when we talk about casting, because I think it's important for people to understand and pull back the curtain. And, and I really don't have the opportunity to talk much with folks in, in this line of work, and it relates so, so closely to recruiting. But when you're evaluating talent, what are some of those, you know, check downs, as we like to call them in your in your head, those those attributes that you're looking for, those questions mm-hmm. that you're asking to really get to the heart of what somebody's about and ascertain both skill, aptitude and attitude? Because that's what we do in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Kevin and I are recruiters by trade. You're in the business. We're looking to find the best available people in the shortest mm-hmm. amount of time. Also knowing that everyone's stepping up is giving their A game because that's what it's all about. And also the side note, which we talk about all the time, there's some people that absolutely crush interviews that crush auditions. Mm-hmm. When the rubber hits the road, you're like, shit, mm, kind of faked it and guess they made it. It's an art. It's an art to be able to <laughs> effectively hire. I think with, with in casting, you know, depending on the show I was working on, and I, I've worked for every major network at this point. So if I was working for Bravo, it would be like, will this person throw a drink in that person's face? <laughs> Do they have you know? that inclination that they might just <laughs> yes. flip a table? They might just go a little ape shit. Yeah. I worked on a show called Comic Book Men for a few seasons, if you're familiar with that show. And that show was, can this person effectively and in a very articulate way communicate that they are a super fan of Batman? Interesting. You know? And so it, it just depends. But at the end of the day, the talent that you cast represents the network. All right. So let's pause here. Let's do a new segment on the spot here. I'm going to make this one up. We're going to call it <laughs> the podcast role play here. And Lacey is going to be the casting agent. Kevin is going to be auditioning for a role in a reality TV show. We'll call it almost like one of those like Love Island show where they put the singles on the island. Nice. There. What's a couple of I questions that you would ask Kevin? Here we go. Yeah. Take one. Action. Action. Why are you single? I haven't met a woman great enough for me. A woman I haven't met a woman as good as my wife. A woman that could hold me down. My wife's not here. My wife's not there. Okay. Why, if I were to ask your mom, why are you still single? What would she say? First of all, if, if we could not talk to Cecilia, that would be great. Secondly, she would say I'm an amazing communicator. Yeah. And, and a mama's boy. Because you over-communicate. That's right. Under, under promise, over-deliver. That's right. And are, are you willing to go to an island, a remote island, with a bunch of hot singles and find true love? I mean, I'm watching enough Too Hot to Handle to know that I can do it. Thanks, wifey. Right. Thanks, wifey. 
And are you willing to do it for free? Last question. Okay, now that's the part where things get a little fancy. The thing about free is, are you going to pay for everything? (laughs) Everything but the flight. If you have to take off work for three months, it's the cost of finding love. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, that's why it gets into. That's why he had to go into recruiting is to to pay for these flights. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to I want to I want to thank everybody for 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 hanging out for that new segment over there. And as we get back into the core over here, and it's kind of a a pretty good transition here. And you said in a in a in an article about the casting depot quote. Imagine being an HR professional without recruiting tools like Indeed or LinkedIn to source talent. That is the abbreviated frustration within the casting industry. Is this where the wheels started to to turn into where we are now? Hmm. Yeah, in terms of meta intro or building that startup. Building that startup. Yeah, I was at a point in my career where I was taking on a ton of freelance projects and I couldn't scale my business because I didn't have access to tools that would allow me to do my job better and faster. And walking to work one day, thought about all of these problems about how am I going to scale? How am I going to scale? And thought, what if there was a platform? like LinkedIn, where I can source all of my on-camera talent in one place and do my recruiting process beginning to end. And that was the light bulb moment. And that was the birth of Casting Depot, right? That was the birth of Casting Depot. So talk us through those those early days. And I'd love to ask founders, when, what was one of those early mistakes that you made that, as I like to say, is a good thing you learned it the hard way that really set yeah. the tone for future growth? Yeah, I feel like with Casting Depot, I ran straight head on straight into the wall with every mistake that you can make in the first time founder journey. First time founders, I like to say, are very dangerous in the sense where literally anything is achievable. You can do it if you put your mind to it and you don't really listen to the market. You do what you think is best. And first time founders, a lot of the time, despite anybody telling you, hey, you should be doing it this way, or hey, you should be giving customer feedback this way, you don't want to listen. You just want to do it the way that you think you should be doing it. And in startup world, like, yes, there's not one right way of doing something, but there are playbooks on how to prove if something can work or not. Yeah. And so with Cass and Depot, I ran into every single wall head on despite what any advisor, any investor told me, just because I thought it was the best way to accomplish something. And so for me with Casting Depot, fundraising was was a really big issue. I think over the course of 18 months, I spoke to a few hundred investors and I couldn't raise capital. It was really tough to raise capital. What was, what was one of those core objections? I mean, what, what was the issue there? Yeah, well, building marketplaces is a tough thing to do as a startup founder. You have chicken and the egg issues. What side is more important? And also with marketplaces, there are blueprints for success. And if you're not hitting those KPIs that show indicators of success, it's going to be very tough to raise capital from traditional consumer investors because there's a blueprint. And I fell into the hole of, I'm like, well, these 150 investors have no idea what they're talking about. I do. So I just mm. need to keep talking to investors to find the right person that believes in me. And in hindsight, what I should have done is had conversations with 15, 20 investors 
taken their feedback and then iterated. I wasn't listening to the market. Well, it's interesting. That's all to say. We did raise capital though. So. Right. And, and we'll get to the acquisition and the, and the exit in a moment there. But you got to the point where you, you had the product. You were I mean, you felt in your gut, in your heart that you were solving a need in the market. This had to be right. Right. Like that's the idea yes. of a of a founder, of an entrepreneur, of, of an innovator. like we found a need. We found a gap and we're going to solve it. That's one thing. But to create a, a viable product that the market wants to price it correctly, to find the right audience. That's a whole other mm-hmm. ball game. That's the tough part. So. Talk to us a little bit about the mountain going, you know, up and then and then down towards the road of of acquisition and exit. Yeah, I feel like a lot of founders don't talk about unsuccessful exits because it's very taboo in the startup space. It's like we were still acquired, which is success, but it wasn't a successful exit. In which terms? Like, how do you define success? Like financially? Financially, yeah. yeah. Success is. Not only did I return my investors' capital, but they, you know, they got a good chunk out of the acquisition. I ended up doing well financially, and our customers are going to be better off with this acquisition. And so what happened is we raised a little bit, we built, we went to market, we got customers, but it wasn't enough. And it wasn't enough to trigger the next round of capital. And so we were building out new features, which is also another mistake startup founders make is the feature dilemma, which is, well, if I build this right. feature, these customers will come. They never come. <laughs> if they're not coming for your core product, they're never going to come. No, it's not. If you think they build it and then they're going to come, that's a urban legend, right? The yeah. Myth. yeah. And we went out to try to raise, had investors that were going to lead the next round of capital. And I said to these investors, because you have a fiduciary duty to your shareholders, to obviously be honest. And I said, I'm having trouble with scaling the product. I actually have a different idea. What if we focus the marketplace on a different segment? And after you know $30,000 in legal fees and months, 90 days spent on closing this round, I was operating our company as if we were going to close the round in terms of our monthly burn. Right. And the investors said either you're building the business that you pitched us or we're not investing. And I said, we need to, we need to pivot. And uh, they ended up pulling, which was super devastating. And I looked at my co-founder that day and said, what are we going to do? We're going to sell. We have to sell. We can't raise enough capital to be able to get to that next point in our business. And so sale process also, no one teaches you how to sell a business. Especially That's tough. Yeah. Yeah, especially the first time, it's like, what do I say? And most get fleeced <laughs> if they don't have the right if they don't have the right advisors and people around them, they're going to get fleeced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. business. I mean, not to say everyone's looking to take advantage of you, but you're at a disadvantage for your lack of experience mm-hmm. and knowledge. Yep. Yeah. The Immutable Mindset is proudly supported by Meta Intro, the professional resume wallet for Web three. The multi chain custodial wallet holds proof of employment, proof of skill, proof of education replacing the old PDF resume. Adjacent to the project, Meta Intro runs a massive Discord community dedicated to Web3 jobs. Around 4,000 opportunities are posted in the community every month. For more information on Meta Intro, head to www.metaintro.com. That's metaintro.com or follow us on Twitter at Meta Intro. Thanks. How'd that feel at the end? Did you, were you, did you feel like you were a disappointment? Did you feel like a quitter or you're like, you know what, this is going to be the fuel for the, for the next phase. I wish I could lie and say 
this gave me all of the motivation to build my next startup, but it definitely did not. There was like a solid month where I couldn't get out of bed. It was like, I've let down my customers, my team, my investors, myself. Like I set out to accomplish something really big and I couldn't achieve it. And that as an entrepreneur, that's like, that's super devastating. And so I had an advisor who met with me on Mondays who I love and he was a really big help in the sale process. And he FaceTimed me and he was like, Lacey, you have to get out of bed. You literally have to get out of bed. Nobody's going to sell the company. You have to finish the story. And so got out of bed because he was really annoying about it. And we sat and built the roadmap to sell the business. And it took me a long time, but we found a buyer. So this was in the fall of 21. And we found a buyer in February of 2020, 2022. And the buyer um, was Influencer Marketplace that thought our product would be like a nice complimentary feature to their current database. And great. So all was not yeah. lost. And all was not lost. On from a, a product. And it that's, that's awesome. And correct me if I'm wrong, the idea for meta intro came while you were in these in these final stages here. Let's uh, let's did. let's jump it. Let's let's shut up, jump into meta intro and and you know from the last 25 minutes understanding and, and digging into Lacey's story, we could see where that theme is. The connecting, the understanding yeah. of bringing people to an opportunity, connecting talent and opportunity, because that's really what recruiting is all about. But walk us through the origin story of Meta Intro. Yeah. So I, I read one of Matt Ball's first essays on the metaverse. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to read that series of articles, but absolutely incredible. Matt Ball is like in a different planet, on a different planet. Literally. I love all of his podcasts, everything that he does. I'm a really big fan. But I read his first essay and I was like, oh, that's super interesting. What is Web3? I had been in crypto passively over the past few years, but nothing serious. And at the time, after reading that article, buying my first NFT, you know, getting a little bit more serious, going Dipping to parties on Roblox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also had simultaneously been talking to a lot of my founder friends about what was going on and with Casting Depot. And they were all talking about their businesses and how they're pivoting into Web3. And so... I thought about the technology. I thought a lot about where my expertise was at the time. And I said, is there anything that I wish I could have solved for in Cassie Depot? Is there anything that, you know, with this new technology, I can leverage to fix that problem? And with Meta Intro, it was the genesis was imagine looking at a candidate's resume and knowing for 100% fact that everything they say on that resume is true. Now, as a recruiter, your job isn't to vet that candidate. Your job is not to sit on a call with them for 30 minutes and get to know their past experience. Your job is to make sure there's a culture fit. You know, and having a culture fit within a company can make or break that team. It's important, especially even more so in Web3. You know? And so I said, well, could we use blockchain and NFT technology to reduce the time to hire? And the answer was yes. Just Go and figure it out. Interesting. I'm going to toss this part of the combo over to, as I said, our resident DGen here, Kevin. I know he has some questions around. We're going to lift up the hood. Let's do it. Let's dive right in. Waste no time. So interestingly, Lacey, within, you know, with even your description of, of kind of the start of Meta Intro, I heard words like crypto, Web3, NFTs, blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the word Web3 and what, it, you know, its real definition is still really confusing to most people. 
So let's say you're at home with that very with, with that mom that has a lot of ideas and, and she's leaned in and, and she's got an idea, but you lean back in with your own idea to explain what Web3 is. How do you explain what Web3 is to your mom? To my mom, which I had to, and to my grandma, and to my there dad, you go. also foreign, and, and English is his third language. So I said, okay, how do I, how do I explain it? So I said to them, Web3 is the next iteration of the internet. It's user owned. And that to them was enough to have a, a very basic understanding. To them, I think in their heads, when I said that, they immediately saw Ready Player Me. They're like, oh, so I could like physically go in. Hmm. And I think that's also the beauty of explaining what Web3 is. Everybody has a little bit of a different iteration, a different dream of what it could be but they know it's interactive and they understand that it's user owned. We love Web3 for the same reason. That's absolutely ownership, right? And so, you know, mm-hmm. when, when I've heard Meta intro, de- you know, the product described, it's a professional resume wallet for Web3. And then you think ownership and you think a wallet, right? And people may be misunderstanding what all that means. So can you also define for the people out there that may misunderstand what this all is, what a professional resume wallet is for Web3. Yeah. So in Web3, you, depending on where you are in your journey, you most likely have a ton of on-chain credentials that live everywhere, whether that's your POAPs, your kudos, your layer three badges, your rabbit hole badges, they're all over the internet. You do not as a user have an efficient way of taking all of that data and then turning around and showing a hiring manager those on-chain credentials. And that's the missing gap right now that I see and what Meta Intro is solving for. So the resume wallet looks exactly how you think it looks. It is a wallet, feels, looks like MetaMask. The only difference is the layout is resume style. So you can organize all of your on-chain credentials in a way that recruiters can easily understand and intake in their current ATS system. So while let's say you go to a lever or a workday greenhouse, you're filling out the job application, you get to the part where it says upload your PDF resume. Instead, because we're in Web3, you connect your resume wallet. And then it pops up into that uh, recruiting manager's ATS system. They see all the on-chain credentials. Great. Let's move you on to the next stage of the interview process. What about verification of employment? Because that's that's a piece I've been yes. having conversations with offline. And I think that's really the piece. And, and the way I kind of explain it is where I envision this is it'll because you, you're not able to as a recruiter, you can't ask somebody why they left the job unless they want to volunteer mm-hmm. that information. You can't ask if, mm-hmm. if they did get terminated, why they got terminated. But what you can verify is actual time in a role. And in most cases, Mm -hmm. I know some states are a little bit different, the actual title there. So where are we at in this process of using Web3 technology? Because there's definitely a gap. I mean, we're not even at the first Mm -hmm. step out of the first inning incorporating Web2 into saying, all right, Adam worked at American Express from 2011 to 2012. How the heck are we going to get there? And where are we at now? Yeah. So we're building out two processes. First is the traditional authorizer would have to send the badge. So American Express would have to send that proof of in a badge. We have a badge minting process that will be live. So you'll be able to use use that and to then send it into that individual's wallet. Examples Mm -hmm. of companies, organizations that already do this, MIT, they issue all of their diplomas on chain. And so, and they are sent to that individual's address. 
So this process like exists. It's just right. We're, we're slowly turtles. Yeah. Quick second way, uh, what we're building out, which we raised capital for, is to KYC your resume. So exactly how you'd KYC your identity, you'll go through a KYC process for your resume. And what's KYC for anyone out there who doesn't know that acronym? Know your customers, right? Mm-hmm. Right. That's correct. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> I said that so commonly. I was like, pop wait, quiz, hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, on it's docs. an onboarding process. Yeah, it's an onboarding process to verify your identity. So, can we just replicate the KYC process? Right. Like, so w- there has to be some. I mean, I envision it being almost an automated way in the in the future, where mm-hmm. companies are going to have you know on chain databases of Adam worked here at this stage, so it's all automated, and they're not going to have to utilize yep. internal resources because that's where I see it. I'm not getting too much into these. We're a stumbling block where it's almost like background checks or reference checks, where I'm in HR and I'm getting a call from a future employer versus mm-hmm. it being automated. And now I'm waiting for somebody to hit the verify, and it's a company that doesn't really understand it. But I want to I want to get back into into the web three roles. And, and Kevin, and I were talking about this offline, like, listen, we're, we're definitely in a, in a in a bear market. But in our opinion, the bears are building what, what are you seeing out there? What are the type of jobs? What are those type of skills that are really in demand right now? What companies are hiring? Yeah, well, people can see what yeah, actually, the names of the companies are hiring by going on meta intro, but the types of companies, you know, where, where are you seeing mm-hmm. the success right now? Or the growth? Yeah, it's it's been a tough sixty days in the Web three market, as I'm sure you both have seen. A lot of companies, a ton of layoffs, a lot of slowed job postings. But that's also because we went into the holidays, and it's tough for me to give a sentiment of the market for this this year, given that we're only like two weeks in. But I still see a lot of companies that are hiring. A lot of them are infrastructure tools. I think mm-hmm. if you had asked me last year, like what companies are hiring, I would have said like infrastructure companies, L1s, L2s, and NFT projects, DAO projects. Right now, if you were to go into the meta intro discord, it's like 3% NFT projects, DGEN projects, and the rest are like legitimate large companies. So companies like finance are obviously hiring. I saw super rares hiring. If you hop into the discord, there, there's a ton, but market isn't as great as it was a few months ago. Well, they do always say there, you know, whenever there's a bear market, there's a, there's always a bull market somewhere. So it's definitely just finding those yes. places. And, you know, before, you know, deciding to, to, to have this awesome chat with you, I, I've been, I've been a fan of meta intro and what you guys have been doing. I've been following along for a while. I've been in the discords and, you know, one of the oh, really? great things that you guys do. Oh yes. Oh yes. Resident D Ben, that's, it's true. No lies there. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I think you guys do really well on your socials and your discord and just helping the community along is, you know, if I'm a job seeker looking to crack into the Web3 space, where do I start? So I'm curious, mm-hmm. where do I start if I'm a Web3 job seeker? What kind of job seeker are you? Are you a technical or non-technical job seeker? Good question. Oh, good one. Let's let's go with mm-hmm. let's go with non. Let's give the non-technical people some love. Let's right, because I, I mean I, yeah. I think to that point I think technical is where the almost logical progression is, right? Because there's a lot more kind of uh, yeah. for lack of a better word, nerdery or enthusiasm in this space. I'm a nerd. Yeah, yeah. We were yesterday with my head of growth. We were looking at some of the developer reports that came out uh, in December, and something super interesting. I think it was CoinDesk that came out with the graph of developer uh, commits to the price in the market, developer commits like this, even through the bear, and then, you know, the price going like this. So that definitely has something to say about the builders in the market. 
In terms of non-technical opportunities, the first thing I would say is, what does your Web 2 resume look like? Because with Web 3, in my opinion, a majority of the jobs that are posted are the same. It's just the context of the company you're working for is different. Social media to social media, Web 2 to Web 3, it's the same. It's just the nuances are a little bit different. The vocabulary is a little bit different and the company is different. The, the mission of the company is different. So first thing I would say to a newbie, non-technical, is what does your Web 2 resume look like? And then help you figure out you know, what your path is in Web 3. You know, as, as I mentioned before, I mean, this is we, we, all, we both live in the same world. We're recruiting on different, on, on, on different kind of models here. I think so many companies are trying to put Web3 in their name and their title, but they're really Web2.5, especially mm-hmm. from a hiring perspective. You just hit the nail on the head, Lacey. These are Web2 skills. Aside from those really, it's Web2 skills with Web3 knowledge, attitude, and aptitude, really understanding where, where it's going. But it's built on these foundations, and we haven't truly fully, you know, most places gone all full Web3 yet from a skills perspective. So, so we're, we're, we're getting there where, where, like when you talk to your clients, what, what are their big challenges with hiring folks in Web3? Are they, are they asking too much? Are they looking for somebody with seven years of discord management experience? Like where's the disconnect? Yeah, I think there's two big disconnects. First expectations. It is our duty as, as I get on my high horse to say this, but this is a high horse duty. show. Get on it. Get up there. I'm, I'm, I'm usually, uh, I'm usually riding it. So you can take the reins. <laughs> I think it's our duty as foundational Web3 companies, you know, being in this first wave of the Web3 ecosystem, it is our job to, I don't want to say lower the barrier, but make the entry for individuals easier into the Web3 space. And when you're posting job descriptions that require five, seven, ten, you know, the crazy ones that say like 10 years of experience, someone needs to fire that recruiter. But When you're posting these jobs that have such a high barrier to entry to apply, you're limiting your pool of candidates. And I totally understand you need a a great rock star founding team, but the larger companies, what they should be focusing their efforts, the recruiting efforts or their onboarding process to is creating good onboarding, educational onboarding programs. So for like instance, unstoppable domains, they will take any type of candidate, web two, web three, doesn't matter. They pride themselves in their recruiting process uh, with education. So they have a whole onboarding process where they educate you on Web3 for like three weeks. And that allows them to source great Mm -hmm. candidates. Yeah. I I think it's great. And I think more companies should be doing that because you can't be screaming at the market that there's not enough talent, but you're not giving the right opportunities and you're not building the right infrastructure within your company um, to be able to support that. So that's just my opinion. And then second issue within the recruiting process is validation of the resume. How do you know this? There's so much scam and FUD that happens in this market, especially on the developer side. The amount of horror. I'm sure you've heard the horror stories of like, I hired this Solidity developer. Turns out they they like don't even know how to write a smart contract. They paid someone to do the code for them, right? Or they were just stealing Mm -hmm. it from someone's GitHub. It's a problem. And hopefully resume wallets will solve that. And talk to us about, about your model. How's your model different and how is it, you know, unique to, to, to Web3 as far as the, the way the job boards and the placements are handled? Yeah. So 
Most people online know us for our Discord community. We have no intention to build out a job board. The Discord community was really created just for a place for individuals to live while we built on the side and built out our core product, which is the resume wallet. We have no plans of building out a job board, no plans of building out an ETS system, a marketplace. I've done it before. I know how capital intensive it is. It's not really... If I was to build a product in you know, the Web3 space, it, it wouldn't be a job board. There's other people that can do that much better than me. But our Discord has turned into a job board. So if you're in it, you can see that there's a ton of channels with you know, dozens of jobs to apply. That's really what people go there for. But that's not our core product. And how are you monetizing that? We don't. I don't believe in the like traditional recruitment model where companies pay me to then you know, get candidates or vice versa. I think that's a very web two way of thinking. And yes, there's a ton of love and time and attention that goes into the Discord, but I don't believe in gating the jobs with a paywall. My investors smack me for that. So. I, was, I was about to say, so where does the, like, what's the revenue generating portion of the business? Yeah. So we're still tossing around some ideas. Yeah. We're tossing around some ideas with how we're going to monetize the wallet. First being the minting process. So if you choose to use us to mint badges, to then send into wallets, there'll be like a super nominal fee. We're building on Polygon and Near and, you know, the transaction fees are nothing. And so we're thinking that the fees attached to minting those badges will just be like really, really small, but we want to make something off the top. And then second, what we're tossing around with customization of the wallets, similar to every single candidate's resume, you're going to want a way for your wallet to stand out. And especially when there's millions of people one day, hopefully using this wallet, you want your resume to stand or you want your wallet to stand out. So are there tools and features that you can unlock if you pay for to customize the wallet? Probably. Um, and then third way is on the recruiter side. So similar to HubSpot, there'll probably be a usage model where you can get your first thousand applicants for free. 2,000 applicants, you have to pay a fee, et cetera. So top, top of funnel. Kevin, before I bring it home here, any other questions? Yeah, you know, you want to get into? One, one general curiosity in doing the research and everything, and it kind of ties into what we were just talking about, you utilizing Near and Polygon as your platform and, you know, and talking about the monetization and in terms of, you know, creating the best, I guess, kind of UI, UX experience for the, for the end user. Curious how you went about thinking about which blockchain to actually utilize, thinking about interoperability and the ability for, you know, everything to function in a in a interactive and immersive way. Just curious, you yeah. know, if if it was the fees and that that kind of guided that or what was it that guided that, that thought process? I'll give you my my uh we don't want the answer. Yeah. <laughs> my fluff answer and then the honest answer. Fluff answer, but Honest, uh, the fees, you know, that is a massive piece of the consideration. And then secondly, when we went out to build, we said, well, we should be building on a chain that has a grant foundation, you know, that'll pay us to build because the idea is that we're one day bringing millions of people to this chain and that should come with, with a fee. So um, we shopped around the wallet, the grant proposal to a few different chains and near like popped on it really quickly. We closed that grant round in about three weeks, I'd say. And they gave us a considerable amount to build. So, And then Polygon naturally came just because Polygon's a great chain to also be building on. Indeed. And one one last thread to pull on, because it kind of ties into something you, you brought up earlier in our conversation in terms of looking to get investors for your product. 
you talked about going yeah. through kind of the traditional route before. And then this time you guys went through Republic, you know, the, the platform where you kind of you kind of crowdsource the investments. So curious how, you know, your your past experience going through the traditional route informed you going this way. And then was there, yeah. you know, because Republic's kind of in the Web3 sphere, did that did that make that an easier decision for you? Yeah. So misconception about the Republic round, there was uh, an investor, an investment recommendation publication if you will, that makes investment recommendations to a group of high net worth individuals. And the round sizes that they do as a group is about 5 million. And so we found, or they found us through Republic, reached out to us. We went through the diligence process exactly how you would through an investment fund. They said, yes, they wanted to invest, but because of the size of the checks that this group can invest in, you know, it could be as low as $100, as high as, you know, $500,000. $500,000. And um, because of SEC regulations, they had to invest through a Reg CF, which is Republic. And so it technically wasn't open for the public to invest in. Like I think it was considered unlisted, but they ended up putting in the whole 5 million, which was amazing. So I'll say we ended up raising three rounds of capital over the course of four months or so, which was nuts. We raised our grants round, which was a little over 100. We raised another 500 in June and then closed or July and then closed the, the seed round in September. So awesome. It was busy. Fantastic. Nice. Lacey, this is, it's great to see. I mean, we're speaking the same language. We're all looking to move the chains forward to onboard, to make it more accessible, to break down the walls here. But obviously we know there's a lot of bad actors out there, a lot of bad press, a lot of bad PR. What, what do you think the biggest threat to the entire Web3 ecosystem is right now? Crazy people. <laughs> the SPFs yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah. Crazy people. I think we're trying to excise out of this process. Yeah. Yeah. We need more security to keep those people out. Absolutely love it. Lisa, we, we love what you're building there. We're big fans of it. So let's bring it home here. A couple of questions that I ask every guest, because again, this is this is my masterclass. 250 plus episodes. I get to speak with incredible folks like yourself. Lacey, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every day? Mm. Single piece of advice, everything's temporary. Mom taught me that. Take that with a grain of salt and how you look at life, things that are, you know, your road blockers, reminding yourself that everything's temporary. Totally dig it. And last but not least, you look back on the on those tough times. You look back, you know, if, if at that moment when you're like, shit, this this failed. You know, Casting Depot is, I let people down, I let myself down, I let investors down, but then you clawed your way back up from that hole. And you look back on that time when you had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity to pull you up. And now where you're sitting, fantastic product, raising funds, building the future of Web3. Lacey, what keeps you focused? What is your beacon? What is your North Star in life? Building cool shit. I think that's probably what keeps me going. Yeah. I love it. I love that stuff. (laughs) Kevin, thank you for being my co-host today. Lacey, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And I want everyone to check out more Meta Intro at metaintro.com. Lacey, where else could folks find you? Where could they connect with you? Where could they learn more? We're on Twitter. TikTok is popping. YouTube, Twitch, LinkedIn, all backslash Meta Intro. You can find us on there. And our Discord is like GG slash Meta Intro. 
Awesome. Hang with me one moment here as we wrap it up. Everyone listening at home, I hope you learned something. If you did, please share it because sharing means caring. It goes a long way. That's how we're going to move things forward here in Web3, the abundancy model, collab over compete. Remember, take care of each other. Look out for one another. You can find out more at thepodcast.com and catch us next week for another great episode. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Immutable Mindset. We appreciate you for joining us. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Immutable Show. Subscribe, comment, and network. And catch us next week for more. Take care, folks.